Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Daniel chapter 3 this morning. Let's go ahead and stand if you would. Once you find your place there, Daniel chapter 3. This is a uh, great story in the Bible. This is a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, The story of the fiery furnace. And I want to go ahead and start reading this morning. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image uh, of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. The Nebuchadnezzar... The king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, all the rulers of the princes or the provinces were gathered together under the dedication of the image of Nebuchadnezzar. Man, I cannot talk today. The king had set up. I just probably should just quit. Anyway, uh, let's continue on. Let's go down to verse 6. I think Nebuchadnezzar's name's not in there. Uh, (laughs) And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of the bar... I can't even... I think we should start the music over again today. Whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. So again, the message here is Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon here, had set up an image that he had constructed of gold, and he wanted everyone to bow down. Those that did not bow down would be cast into that burning, fiery furnace. Let's go ahead and pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. And Lord, I thank you so much for the great services we've already had this morning. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning as we look at your word, and we look at the the great faith that these three Hebrew children had. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as Christians to have the same uh, radical abandonment, the same faith that that they had in the midst of persecution, in the midst of oppression, in the midst of uh, trouble and trials. And Lord, I know there's many people in our church that are going through difficulty right now or have gone through difficulty or will go through difficulty. And God, I pray that you'd help us to realize some truths that we find in your word through this. Lord, we love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let me chew up my mint. I don't know why I ate a mint right before I preached this morning, but I'm all out of whack this morning. I don't really know what my problem is. Anyway, uh, I mentioned last week, you know, one of the causes for despondency. Let me finish my mint. I'm serious. It's like, we'll cut this out of the, uh, the, li- or the, the other part later. Anyway, I mentioned last week one of the causes for despondency. We talked about thriving through despondency. One of the causes for despondency is unexpected events. You ever have unexpected events happen in your life? All of us, every single one of us has things that has things that happen in our life that we just don't expect, that we don't plan for. You know, we know that sickness is going to come, but we don't always plan for sickness, right? We know that death is imminent, but we don't always plan for death. Uh, we might plan for it in the sense of we have a, have a will made, we have uh, retirement funds, we have uh, life insurance, things like that. But when it actually happens, we're not necessarily ready for it. And even when we are supposedly ready, we're not ready. Uh, there's a lot of unexpected events that take place in and through our lives. 
And one thing that I mentioned last week with um, Elijah was the fact in 1 Kings chapter 18 that he was met with some unexpected events. He had a great triumph, a great victory on Mount Carmel. He saw God do wonderful things, victorious things in and through his life. He saw God move mightily when the fire of God came down on the altar and he was able to slay those 850 false prophets of Baal and of the grove. And it was an amazing thing. But one of the things that I mentioned was as long as God was doing what Elijah expected him to do, Elijah was on board. But then when things changed in chapter 19, Elijah kind of got his focus shifted out of whack. And I think that's what happens to us sometimes. As long as God does what we expect him to do, we're on board for God. But what happens when God doesn't do what we expect him to do? And that happens a lot of times in our lives. Because one, we are not God. We are not in control. We are not the sovereign ruler of this universe. Let me ask this question, and I want you to answer it to yourself this morning. You don't have to answer it out loud. But has your faith changed since you've become a Christian? It should be yes. For many of us, it is yes. Let me continue. Is it still changing you? Is it still molding you and shaping you and transforming you into your Savior? You know, at some point, every Christian will face trials that are challenging to their faith. And when that time comes, it is very important to hold on to our faith and trust in God, even in the midst of overwhelming opposition. And as I've said many times from this pulpit, I've seen many Christians, and myself included, that when faced with trials and opposition, instead of strengthening their faith, strengthening their resolve, growing closer to Christ, they've gotten farther away from him. What do you do when the furnace is turned up in your life? Literally in this story, the furnace is about to be turned up in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What do you do when the proverbial furnace is turned up, when it's heated up, when the trials, when the pressures of life come upon you? Let's set the stage a little bit. Go back with me in Daniel chapter 1, if you would, just to set the scene of what has happened. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. He took over. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, which part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar. So he took certain vessels of the house of God, of the, of the temple, the tabernacle, and took them with him to the foreign land. So this pagan, idolatrous king took of the uh, vessels that were in the house of God to his land. That's not a good thing right there. Verse number three. And the king spake unto uh, Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, and that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish. So he wanted good kids, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding and um, science and such had ability in them to stand in the king's palace. So he wanted the best of the best. And that's kind of what set the stage here. Uh, and he, he chose Daniel and uh, obviously Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who weren't their given names. Their given names were actually something different, but they were actually changed. And I think I have this in your notes just for reference point. But it's very interesting to know what their given names were. Daniel, his given name was Daniel, and it means God is my judge. 
But his name was changed when he went to Babylon, when he was moved to Babylon, to Belteshazzar, which means Bel protects his life. Bel is not God. God is God. Hananiah, or Shadrach, his name means God is gracious. It was changed to Shadrach when he moved to Babylon, and that means command of Aku, or command of one of their gods. Mishael, or Meshach, means who is like God. But when he moved to Babylon, his name was changed to Meshach, which means who is like Aku. So again, it seems like there's an identity crisis here. Their names are changed. Azariah, or Abednego, means God helps. Or when it was changed to Abednego, it means servant of Nebo. So we see a different context here. Once the culture around them was changed, once they moved cultures, once they moved to a different land, they were given new names. And as we get to Daniel chapter 3, we kind of skip ahead in the story a little bit. These young men were isolated from their families. They were taken from their families, taken from their homeland, taken from their friends. But there's a very important truth to understand as we continue this story this morning. They were not isolated from their God. You see, God is always God. He is always there no matter what happens in our life. No matter where we are in our life, God is still there. Even if you are uprooted from your home and taken to a far distant country, God is still there. And that's an important truth that we learn with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel. That we learn that even though they were taken from their homeland, from Judah, and uprooted, taken to a different culture entirely, God was still God. And they still serve the true and living God. You see, it's very easy when the culture around you changes and when the culture around you doesn't believe in the true God, it's very easy for you to start believing the culture, to start living like the culture, to start worshiping the gods of the culture. And sadly, many of the Israelites that were uprooted from their land started serving the gods of the culture in Babylon. But there were at least four young men that didn't give in to that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did not give into that as well as Daniel. But Nebuchadnezzar constructs this statue, this image made of gold, this massive image that's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And then he decides to have a dedication ceremony in verses 2 through 5. And I tried to read those verses, which I couldn't read anything today. But I tried to read those verses, and, and basically whenever the music was played people were supposed to bow down. So I was thinking about that this week. You know, in a sense, this was a musical chairs, in, in a sense. It's not, but you know, when the music was played, they were supposed to bow down. So think about that. Whenever the music was played of the king that he wanted to be played, everyone was supposed to bow down. Now, this is very important in setting the stage and setting the scene. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't trying to get the Israelites to abandon their God. Let me say that again. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't trying to get the Israelites to abandon their God. He was just trying to get them to worship his God as well. Did you get that? He wasn't trying to get them to necessarily abandon their God. He was just trying to get them to add his God to their God. And I say this because the Babylonian society was a very pluralistic society, which means they believed in a lot of gods. So it wasn't necessarily like, you know what? You don't need your God. You just have our God. No, no, no. You have your God. You have our gods. It's all the same. It's no big deal. 
It's kind of like our country in America. You know, you have your thing, you have your thing, it's all good. Everyone worship whatever you want to worship, it's no big deal. But friends, it is a very big deal. It's a very big deal. And there were a lot of people that came from Judah, that came from Israel, that got tied into this pluralistic society. And instead of saying, you know what, no, I'm not going to worship these other false gods, these false deities, they started worshiping them. But Nebuchadnezzar had this image, and, and the Israelites knew that that right there is idolatry, idol worship, that they should not bow down to any image but the true and living God. It talks about that in Exodus chapter 20, that thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? No other gods, no other images, nothing else should be before us. We shouldn't bow down, make reverence to anything but the true and living God. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego definitely knew this. Daniel definitely knew this. So here we are faced with the situation that if you don't bow down, what's going to happen to you? <laughs> you're going to be cast into the fire. If you do bow down, you're not going to be cast into the fire. So in some ways, for some people, it's like, what's the big deal? If you don't bow down, you get to save your life. If you don't bow down, you get to keep on living and maybe you can, you know, maybe you can witness to people. But by bowing down... You're not following the laws that God has given you in his word. You're disobeying the God of the Bible. Shadrach, and Amish, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego really didn't like this outcome, didn't like this, this choice that was given them. They didn't like the fact that they had to bow down because they realized that there should be no other gods but the true and living God. And as we continue on, look at verse number seven. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the, the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and all the music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans, the wise men of this time, came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, um, all the other, uh, the, the dulcimer and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down, so whoever doesn't worship this image should be what? Cast into the burning fiery furnace. Uh, king, I want you to understand that there are certain Jews, there's a few guys that didn't listen to you, didn't obey you. Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king, Nebuchadnezzar, spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, all the music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, but if ye worship not, he should be cast in the same hour into the midst of the fiery furnace. So what he's saying here is, I'm going to give you a second chance. 
If you hear the music again and you fall down and worship, I'm going to let it slide. It's no big deal. But if you don't, here's your punishment. You're going to be thrown into the fire. Skip down to verse number 19. We're going to come back to verse 16 through 18 in just a minute. Verse number 19. They basically answered and said, you know what? No deal. I don't really care what you say, king. We're not falling down. We're not going to bow down. It's not good enough for us. And you can imagine Nebuchadnezzar wasn't too happy with this. Nebuchadnezzar, full of fury, rage, anger, frustration, whatever. And the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His countenance changed. He was pretty upset, pretty livid. He gave them a second chance, and they didn't listen to him. Therefore, he spake and commanded they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it wants to be heated. So a fire is already pretty hot, right? Anybody ever been on fire? I mean, it's, it's pretty hot in general. So he says, go ahead and heat it up seven times hotter. Now, it's hard to determine just how hot the furnace was. I, I did some study this week on ancient Babylonian culture. The furnace easily could have been upwards to 2,300 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> That's pretty hot. I think it's hotter than most Texas barbecues right there. That fire was so hot and so intense that when the guards ended up throwing in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that the guards were burned up. That's how hot the fire was, and that's how massive the flames were. But I want you to go back to verse number 16, because this is the message this morning. Verse number 16, I want you to take note of something with me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, again, remember, they had a choice, bow down, get thrown in the fire. They had a second chance, bow down, get thrown in the fire. Now comes their answer. We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. I started studying out this phrase and didn't really fully understand it until I started studying it out. Here's what it means. They were talking about the command that was just laid down. Here's what they're saying. We don't need to go and confer. We don't need to go and talk about this. We don't need to go and pray about this. We know what our answer is. Our answer is, we're not going to bow down to your image. We're not going to bow down to your God. We don't need time to confer again. We don't need time to think about this. We know our answer. Our answer is the same as it was yesterday. It's the same today. It's going to be the same tomorrow. And I started thinking about this. There's a lot of Christians today that if faced with a situation like that, I think they'd have to have time to confer. Well, you know what? Let me go and counsel with some people. You give me another chance. Let me go and see if this is what I really need to do. Let me go talk to my pastor. Let me go talk to my friends. Let me go talk to my husband and my wife. Look, you should already know what the truth is. You should know what you're supposed to do. This is a simple choice. Serve God or serve some false deity. Bow down to some false god or don't bow down. (laughs) Serve the true and living God. So they said, you know what? There's no choice. And what this says to me is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a settled faith. Adrian Rogers once said, one of the greatest things that I have learned in life is one big decision will keep you from a lot of little ones. So it's very important to make one big one. The magnificence of their faith is seen in their unwavering refusal to be disloyal to their God. Stay with me here because this is all setting the stage for what's to come. 
with a furnace that is seven times heated, seven times hotter than it already was. Now, going into a furnace is bad enough, but now it's seven times hotter. Thomas Carlyle once said, the final question with each of us is compelled to answer is this, wilt thou be a hero or a coward? This question constantly confronts every one of us. Wilt thou be a hero or a coward? And there's a couple things quickly I see about faith before we get into the meat of the message this morning, but faith is always confronted with a choice. Every single one of us in here today has faith, faith in something, whether it's faith in God or faith in yourself. But faith is always confronted with a choice. Nebuchadnezzar did not demand that they deny their faith, only that they bow down to his image. What's the big deal? It's kind of like I've been preaching for months. It's the deal of prominence versus preeminence. Is God just going to have a place in your life, or is he going to have the place? Second thing, quickly, is faith always involves a risk. If there is no risk involved, no faith is necessary. Hudson Taylor famously said, unless there is an element of risk in our exploits for God, there is no need for faith. Think about that. There needs to be risks in our life. And if there's not, then what's the need of faith? You see, if we can see the path ahead, then we're walking by sight. What constituted Abraham the father of the faithful? You see, Abraham in Hebrews chapter eight or 11, verse 8, he went out not knowing whither he went. He went forward in his faith, trusting in God and God alone. You see, many of us, and myself included, oftentimes have to know the answers before we do it. Well, God, I'll do this, but uh, I need the answers before I do it. So you need to go ahead and give me the details, and then I'll go ahead and do it. That's not faith. Faith always involves a risk. Abraham went out not knowing whither he went. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are basically saying, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, no deal. They're saying, hey, we've made our choice, and this choice involves a heavy risk. We don't know if we're going to be saved or not, but we're going to have faith and trust in God that he will save us. Abraham was willing to risk it all. These three Hebrew boys were willing to risk it all. But the third thing is faith always encounters opposition. The Christian is to be one, as I said last week, who completely is fearless continually cheerful and constantly in trouble. But how can you expect your faith to grow if you aren't tested? And sadly, well, not really sadly, but many people in our church here recently have been tested. But sadly, many people that have been tested have gone astray. Because when faced with opposition, instead of allowing their faith to grow them and strengthen them and mature them, they turn from God. And what it shows me is that maybe their faith wasn't as strong as they thought it was. You can't expect to get physically stronger if you don't push yourself. Right, Carrie? I used him because I'm tired of using myself. Yeah. But a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And I don't always like my faith to be tested, but I understand that when it is tested, it's there to make me stronger. God is trying to do a work in my life. 
And if I'm not being tested, then maybe it's because my faith isn't where it needs to be. Look, our faith in God should be unwavering. It doesn't matter the opposition. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. I think of these three Hebrew children. Again, face with a choice. Bow down. Go to the fire. Nope, we're not going to do it. We're not going to bow down. Give us the fire. All right, I'll give you a second chance. Bow down go to the fire. Nope, we're not going to do it. Let's continue on. Here's the message this morning. First thing we see is this. We see faith in the ability of God. Look at verse number 17. After they had just answered this, they basically, hey, we don't need any time. We don't need to talk about this. We don't need to sleep on this. We already know our answer. Our answer is the same as it always has been. Look at verse number 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. How many believe that the God that you serve is able to deliver you from any fire that you face? Anybody today? Obviously, most of you don't agree with that. Anybody agree that the God you serve is able to deliver you? All right, a few more. Very good. Most of you guys still don't. That's okay. Hopefully, by the end of the message, you'll understand that and you'll agree with that. But they had a faith in the ability of God. You see, this is a confident faith. They said, our God, the God whom we serve, is able to deliver us. There was no doubt in their mind. Um, Either next week or the weeks to come, I'm going to be preaching a message on doubt, kind of thriving through the doubt. Uh, Doubt is something that many of us face. Uh, I've faced many times in my life. But I see with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there was no doubt. There was no wavering. Even when the opposition was faced them, even when the trials were there, there is no doubt. Their faith was confident. It feels like many Christians today need to answer, need an answer. Well, God, what have you done for me today? <laughs> well, forget about what you've done in the past. What have you done for me today? You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew what God had already done for them. There was no doubt in their minds that God would deliver them because they've seen God deliver them in the past and they knew God would deliver them in the present and the future. So do we have that same unwavering faith in the ability of God? God, what, what have you done for me today? I know you did it yesterday, but what have you done today? And this is good. These Hebrew boys didn't need a new assurance. Why? Because they had a past promise. You see, we don't need a new assurance today. I don't need some new revelation from God because he's already given me a past promise that, hey, Chris, I've already taken care of you in the past. I promise to take care of you in the present, and I will take care of you in the future. So have faith in my ability. But do we have faith in his ability? Well, yeah, I do. I have faith in his ability. Let's keep going on. Again, they've already seen God work. Again, I think many of us believe that God has the ability to do everything in general. But it takes the exercise of faith to believe that God is able to do something in particular that concerns us. Especially when the furnace is turned up seven times. This bodes the question, is anything too hard for God? Could anything have seemed more impossible than deliverance for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you really believe that God is able to deliver you through your furnace, through your trial? Are you willing to step out in faith 
and fully trust him, knowing that the fire may be waiting? What we see here, first of all, is faith in the ability of God. Second thing, continue on, verse number 17. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Here's what I see. Second thing is this. Confidence in the willingness of God. Not only did they have faith in God's ability, but they had confidence in God's willingness. Many who can see the ability of God do everything or anything they can, but they are not so confident in God's willingness to intervene in their case. To know God is to be assured of his absolute willingness to intervene in the way that he sees fit. The Lord did deliver these three men, but I'm sure in a way that they never imagined. And if I was them, I might have been thinking, okay, God is going to deliver me, but what he's going to do is he's going to send, you know, fiery darts from heaven. He's going to like strike all these people dead. So then I'm just going to be able to walk away. (laughs) I didn't have, I, I probably wouldn't have thought like these men probably wouldn't have thought I'm going to have to actually go through the fire, into the fire, and then God's going to deliver me. I think many of us think like that. Well, God's going to deliver me before I go through the trial, before I go through the testing. But that's not always the case. Let's continue on. Verse number 18. I know when we see faith in the ability of God, confidence in the willingness of God, but this is good. Acceptance in the sovereignty of God. Verse 18. What are the first three words? Let's all read them together. It's on the screen. Ready? But if not. So they just said God is able to deliver us. Now, this isn't a contradiction here. This isn't saying, well, well, God's able to deliver us, but I really don't think he can. It's not what it's saying. They still believe in God's ability. They still have confidence that God, in his willingness, can deliver them. But now they are accepting God's sovereignty, that God is sovereign, that God is in control of all things. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. This really comes down to a simple question. Do we truly believe that God is in control? Again, this isn't showing their doubt. This shows their utmost confidence in God. And I've seen many Christians have confidence in God until things don't go the way that they planned. Until God doesn't do what they expect him to do. I believe God will come through, but if he doesn't, I'm done. Is that your attitude today? I believe God can do anything, but if he doesn't do it in my case, I'm out the door. That's not acceptance of his sovereignty. That's not acceptance that he is in control. That's you trying to control things. That's you, in in general, trying to be a narcissist. And really, many of us are narcissistic. Some are greater narcissists than others. Some really like to control everything. Well, I'll, I'll control this. I'll show you. I'll show them who's in charge. (laughs) Go ahead. I'll show you who's in charge. It's him. 
And I've had people question my authority, and well, you're, you're the biggest narcissist there is. Actually, no, I'm not. God is in control. That's how I'm trying to live my life. And all you're doing is showing me that you're trying to be in control of something because you're not submitting to the authority that is placed in this church. And I've seen it time and time again that people want to run things. They want to control things. They want to control a pastor. They want to control their families. They want to control God. That's not the way it's supposed to work, people. Acceptance in God's sovereignty is that he is in control no matter what, no matter if you like it or not. That even if the fire comes in your life, even if you're thrown into the fire, even if you're thrown into that furnace, even if it's heated up seven times hotter, God is still in control. I think of sweet Tesla, and I think of so many others in our church that are struggling, and, and I'm sure Stephanie and, and Randy and, and others weren't thinking, man, I sure hope Tesla gets hussed and, and has to go in the hospital. I know that wasn't their thought. But I know in talking to them, they're, they're trying their hardest to accept God's sovereignty, that God is in control, even though they don't understand this, that they don't get what is happening to them. But there's a reason for it all. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. That's the opposite. God does love us. Look, even faced with the furnace, these three men's faith did not waver, did not change. Because they knew who was in control. Even if God doesn't save us, we're still not going to bow the knee. That's great right there. I believe God can save us, but even if he doesn't, I'm still going to serve him. Is that your attitude today? Amen. I hope it is. But honestly, most of us probably couldn't truly say amen. Because even if God doesn't save us, we're probably like, I ain't serving him. But where's the faith? You know, if God told us there's no need of faith. Even if God doesn't do what you think he should do, will you have the attitude that these three Hebrew men had? Their attitude is even if things don't go as we expect, our confidence will not be unshaken. Our love for God will remain the same. To them, loyalty to their God was far more important than life itself. They trusted him where they could not trace his purposes. And God rewarded them. Here's what this comes down to this morning. And this is key. Deliverance from trials is not necessarily our highest good. But I don't want to go through trials. No one wants to go through trials. But deliverance from trials is not necessarily our highest good. You see, God did not deliver Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the fiery furnace. But he did deliver them in the fiery furnace. Deliverance from trials is not always our highest good. Look at Paul. He glorified in enduring tribulation, not evading tribulation. 
God could have easily prevented the furnace, but I've learned that it's in the hottest fire where the most precious treasures are made. I think of what Jesus said in John 16, 33. In the world you, have, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah believed that nothing was too hard for God. They would not bow down even if death was facing them. Even if a furnace, fire, everything that went with fire, the pain, the agony, the burning was facing them. They would not bow down. They would not give in. Could you say that? It was 1940 and the German war mark had the British expeditionary and French forces surrounded at Dunkirk on the northern coast of France. The British Navy couldn't rescue them. They couldn't fight their way out. It looked like no one was going to survive. The British and the French would be safe if they could just get across the English Channel and out of France. But there was no time or resources to set the stage and stage an evacuation. A British officer sent a three-word telegram to the war offices in London. But if not... This powerful phrase communicates to the people at home the true straits of the men stranded at Dunkirk. As with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the situation looked hopeless. They prayed that God would save us, but if not, they would stand faithful. Under the cover of fog and night, in small fishing boats, pleasure cruisers, and all manner of small watercraft, watercraft, piloted by the good people who lived up the coast, 338,000 people were saved. Skip down to verse number 24. I want to see how God rewards this. You see, these men were thrown into the furnace, but something amazing happened. They didn't die, they weren't burned. You know, the Babylonians worshiped the fire god. His name was Isbar. But Isbar was not like Jehovah. Look at verse number 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. Astonished, and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, um, Did not we cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said, uh, Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Verse 25. He answered and said, Lo, um, uh, I don't see three guys. I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. How is that possible? How is it possible to be thrown into a fire and one, to be walking around in a fire without fire burning you and killing you, without no hurt, without no pain? How is it possible to not just have three guys that were thrown in there, but have a fourth guy in there? And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Verse 26, the Nebuchadnezzar came near in the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High, God, come forth and come hither. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. And the princes, the governors, the captains, and the king counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power. Now this is amazing. It's all amazing, but this is amazing how they came out of the fire. You ever been to a, a campfire and you come out and your clothes just smell and reek of the, the campfire? Yeah, you get home, you have to just wash everything. 
That's not the case here. They saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. This was, again, an attack on Isbar, their God, because Isbar is not Jehovah. He's not Yahweh. And what we see in the next few verses, very quickly, but I want to get back to another point, is this. God's people, when they have an attitude of faith, when they trust in God's ability, have confidence in God, and believe in his sovereignty, God's people will be preserved. may not be the way that you intend it to happen, but God's people always have been preserved. It's always been through history. God's name is praised. Verse number 28, then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach. And I love the song we sang, blessed be the name of the Lord, all the songs. But he ended up elevating and praising the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So we see God's people are preserved, God's name is praised, and God's people are promoted. Then the king, verse 30, promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You see, in order to thrive, we need the rain, we need the storms, we need the trials, we need to face the furnace. The trials are a way of helping things get anchored in our life. God doesn't promise to save us from the flames, but he does promise to walk with us through the flames. You see, the situation for these three men looked hopeless. And we should pray that God will save us. We should believe that God will save us. But if not, we still need the resolve to be faithful. Oswald Chambers, a great pastor of the past, once said, there are some things only learned in a fiery furnace. I want to close with this question. Does your faith have an if not clause in it? We all like Daniel 3.17. Our God is able to deliver us. But do we have an if not clause? But if not, I'm still going to serve him. I believe God can get me through this problem. I believe God can heal me of this disease. I believe God can restore this situation. But if not, I'm still going to serve him. Is that your attitude today? What if he doesn't heal? What if he doesn't restore? What if in his infinite wisdom he chooses not to do what you think he should do? For me, seven years ago, it didn't happen the way I expected. But here's what God showed me this morning as I close. Real faith is not conditional. I want you to think about love for a minute. True love should be unconditional, right? When I think about love, I can't help but think of the overwhelming, relentless, unconditional love that God has for his children. And I think too often what we try to do is we try to change people into who we want them to be. You think of relationships. I want this person to be who I want them to be. Well, is that unconditional love? Well, I'm trying to make them better. 
to me, your love is based on conditions. As long as they perform the way that you want them to perform, you'll love them. But what happens if something changes? <laughs> I don't love them anymore. That's you trying to control the situation. And I've seen it many, 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 many times. I've seen it many times. I've seen it in my own life that we are trying to control the situation instead of allowing God to take control. Well, as long as my husband or wife or as long as the person I'm dating, as long as they stay in the gym and work out, I'm fine with it. <laughs> but if not, I'm dumping them. Well, that's foolish. Because that means your love is based on conditions. Conditions change, and since conditions change, that means your love will change. Unconditional love has no conditions. Even when we fail God, you know what? He still loves us. And you fail him every day of your life because I fail him. But I think the same is true with our faith. True faith is not conditional. It doesn't have conditions. Well, I'll serve God. I'll have faith in God as long as this happens. As long as I don't have to go in the hospital. As long as I don't have to lose my child. As long as I don't have to get meningitis. As long as, as long as, as long as, as conditions. True faith is unconditional. And I never see in Daniel chapter 3, I never see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right, God, we're going to serve you if, if you do this, check that off, 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 check that off. Never see that, do you? If you do, show me. Habakkuk 3.17. We'll have it on the screen. You can follow along. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive tree shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. There shall be no herd in the stalls. Even though everything around us is going wrong, I love verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Is that your attitude today? Though everything around me is failing, though everything around me is going wrong, though trouble is coming, though the furnace is getting hotter, though the fire is heating up seven times more than I want it to be heated, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation to live in the yet you must live in faith. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hind's feet. He will make me to walk upon high places to the chief singers of the stringed instruments. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saying here. God, I believe you can save me. I believe you can heal me. Even if you don't, I'm still going to rejoice in you. I'm still going to have faith in you. Is your faith in Christ the anchor of your soul? Is your faith real enough today that you love and trust God regardless of the circumstances without condition? That without condition is key. I think that many of us have a strong faith in Christ when things are going the way that we think they should go, but what about when things don't go the way you think they should go? Many believe God is able to deliver and can do all things, but what if he chooses not to? Will you still serve him? Friends, the fire is going to come. Believe the promise. So when the pressure increases, you receive the protection and ultimately the promotion. Don't give up because your miracle is in the fire.
God is able to save you. But if not, he's still God. So serve him. Obey him. Trust him. Have faith in him without condition.